1: and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com.
0: Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024.
2: Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air. With your own easy breathe ventilation system you can get it installed or diy kits are available just call 866-822-7328 or visit take charge of and receive 20 percent off today
1: the american education system has been in place in one form or another since the early 19th century things moved along with a degree of synergy for most of that time a few notable exceptions desegregation creationism versus evolution and sex ed come to mind But it wasn't until just over a year ago that a 40-year-old academic concept became the new dividing line in American academics. Of course, we are talking about critical race theory. Critical race theory, or CRT, has truthfully fallen victim to misinformation campaigns from all sides. According to edweek.org, quote, since January 2021, 41 states have introduced bills or taken other steps that would restrict teaching critical race theory or limit how teachers can discuss racism and sexism, according to an Education Week analysis. 14 states have imposed these bans and restrictions either through legislation or other avenues, end quote. Without the term being clearly defined, champions, as well as opponents of CRT, have allowed the term to encompass everything from American history which is a separate field of study, to a bill backed by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis banning private and public schools, as well as private businesses causing discomfort to white people during training or lessons on discrimination. Joining us today to discuss critical race theory is U.S. Representative from Texas's 9th District, Al Green. So what is critical race theory?
3: Well, critical race theory, um, for many people, is... Um, a a means by which we attempt to shame America and make persons who want to feel good about America feel as though they somehow are in a country that has um, not been fair to people of color. Okay, There's some truth to that, by the way. Uh, But in actuality, critical race theory is simply... The rest of history, Um, it is it is a theory that uh, the the issues uh, that are related to race, um, especially uh, the the issues related to invidious discrimination, uh, that these issues are embedded in American society, in our various institutions and uh, our various policies. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's really the rest of the story. You're probably too young to remember a man named Paul Harvey. He used to have a report wherein he would give the rest of the story around some uh, aspect of history. Okay. And it would be something that you didn't know about it that really brought things into focus. Well, that's what the critical race theory does. But one of the best ways to explain how critical race theory is so embedded and so institutionalized, is to give you a couple of examples. Um, These are examples that exist today. These are examples that emanate from Capitol Hill itself. Uh, There is racism um, uh, embedded and institutionalized at Capitol Hill itself. So let's start with um, a person who is uh, renowned as the father of um, of American music. His name is Stephen Foster. Stephen Foster. Mm -hmm. Stephen Foster has a day in his honor, January the 13th. And we commemorate this. And we commemorate this um, as he is proclaimed to, according to the actual resolution that accorded him this day. And I shall read a passage from the actual resolution so that uh, there won't be any question about Mr. Foster. It is proclaimed in this passage as follows. Whereas the songs of Stephen Collins Foster belong to the people and are a musical, the musical essence of democracy so that he now is recognized as the father of American folk music and the true interpreter of the fundamental spirit of music. Now, that would be fine, if not but for the fact that Mr. Stephen Foster has some music that I don't find favor with, and my guess is that a good many Americans would. Uh, For example, in in his song, um, "Old Susanna, he uses the N-word. In his song, Uncle Ned, he uses the Mm N-word more than once. In his song, Oh Lemuel, he uses the N word. In his song, Away Down South, he uses the N word more than once. Mm-hmm. My point is, he has been proclaimed the father of American music, but he is a person who has demeaned uh, persons of color. He has depicted them as people who are dim witted. Uh, persons who are lazy, uh, and buffoonish, superstitious, and simply happy-go-lucky. Uh, he engaged in blackface. Um, he was um, one of the persons who would uh, actually provide these minstrel shows wherein black people were depicted in this buffoonish way. And uh, this is something that the Congress of the United States voted on to make him the father of American music. It passed the Senate, and the president uh, signed this, uh, this day, this uh, act, making it uh, Stephen Foster Memorial Day in the United States. Well, th- that's the kind of thing that some people don't understand is offensive to other people. Right. My guess is uh, there are many people who would not tolerate a song that in any way uh, celebrated uh, the Third Reich uh, or some aspect of the Third Reich. I don't think they would. Right. Uh, a, a better example, if I may say this quickly, a better example is the Richard Russell office building. Richard Russell, Senator Richard Russell, was a racist and a bigot, a self-proclaimed white supremacist, a person who fought civil rights laws vehemently, a person who did his very best to maintain the segregated South. Uh, he clearly should not have a building named in his honor on Capitol Hill, but he does. The Russell Senate office building, paid for with tax dollars, uh, maintained with tax dollars. And I would guess that if we found out he was associated with the Third Reich in any way, that uh, we take his name off that building. But we haven't done so knowing that he is a person who discriminated against people of color. Uh, This is the kind of thing that uh, we are talking about when we say institutionalized. It's institutionalized by Congress, and Congress has not decided that it will uh, remedy this. Uh, One more point quickly on this. Of course. This, This institutionalization can be very harmful to our physicality because there are many persons Who marched with those persons who were saying, Jews will not replace us in Charlottesville, who have jobs, um, professions wherein they encounter people of color? One can only imagine what happens if that person happens to work at a restaurant and uh, some person who is uh, African American, has a high profile, comes in to be served uh, the food. One can only imagine what might happen. Mm -hmm. Or what if that person happens to be a nurse? or a physician, and you happen to have this person as your caregiver, uh, persons who scream, Jews will not replace us, um, are probably not going to be friendly to people of color. So I think that we, at some point, have to understand that when the state of Texas passes a law, SB 3, Senate Bill 3, that limits what you can teach about history, Mm -hmm. black history, about slavery, limits what you can teach about slavery, then that, that ought to let us know that um, it, the, not only is it institutionalized in the sense that there's some harm that might befall us, but also it continues to perpetuate this, this, um, this, 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 this harm uh, as it relates to people of color. It's self-perpetuating. Uh, to a certain extent. So we've got to do something about it. And I think that having something uh, like critical race theory talked about is a great benefit to us, notwithstanding the things that people are trying to do to, to prove that some lies do live forever, uh, which, of course, Carlyle would deny, and that truth crushed to earth uh, will never rise again. William Cullen Bryant would differ with them. Uh, we have a duty and an obligation to make sure that we tell the truth about history it's just the truth. No more, no less. And the truth, unfortunately, can be painful, but mm-hmm. it is necessary for us to move forward as a country.
1: Absolutely. There's um, a reckoning that uh, I, on, on, I have another uh, show that I do, a reckoning that I, I called my listeners to you know, have with themselves um, And it has to do with a a very important part of American history. The the Federal Housing Administration, federal, uh, when um, a lot of track housing was was being built in the early part of last century, um, there were clauses that uh, ensured that the housing could only be sold to white uh, buyers um, across the country. And uh, you know, this is uh, goes along with the whole redlining conversation um for those that know, but basically your house could only be or your you could only sell these new houses, these new affordable houses to white buyers. And then the clauses and the mortgages and the uh the deeds or whatever um ensured that they could not then resell it nor rent it to anyone black. And so what you end up with is a lot of um low income white folks being able to get affordable housing outside of city centers um, in in the suburbs. Um, And then over the years, those houses going up in value to where now um, the average white family's wealth is uh, or the average black family's wealth is 10 percent that of the average white families and peeling back the pages of American history um, and having a critical examination of the things that we would consider to be racist, racist policies, racist, um, you know, the holidays and so forth. And the the psychological and indeed physical um, or economic impact that they have on our community and other communities is a critical conversation. So, again, I applaud you for doing the work um, well, in the Congress.
3: Well, I thank you for what you just said, because uh, I'm familiar with uh, this. Um, I serve on the Housing Subcommittee in Congress. Sure. and um, Uh, At one time, you're right, there were these restrictive covenants, Mm -hmm. and they were lawful Mm -hmm. restrictions in terms of who you could sell the property to. Mm -hmm. I think it was Shelley versus Kramer, uh, one of the pieces of litigation that changed this, as well as Burroughs versus Jackson. But changing the law and saying that, okay, now you can sell to anybody you'd like to sell to didn't eliminate the fact that the wealth was already concentrated in certain areas by virtue of the law as it existed prior to the change in the law. Absolutely. And, and, and it is that, that, that change that we have to deal with, uh, the fact that changing the law did not change the status, the economic status of people who were denied access. Another example of what you've mentioned is uh, when the West was settled and uh, you could literally literally own as much land as you could fence in and defend. And that was at a time when black people were not allowed to own land. Right. Well, white settlers were and and people shouldn't be offended when we say things like white settlers, because that's just the truth. Mm -hmm. That's who they were. Mm -hmm. They were white settlers. Uh, White settlers would come out and fence in the land and they'd get the Winchester rifle and uh, they defended and it became theirs. They were homesteading, as it were. So we, we would deny these opportunities to amass wealth uh, that would be handed down from one generation to the next, inter- intergenerational wealth. We didn't get that opportunity. So something has to be done to adjust for the, the lack of opportunities that were lawfully denied. This is not something that occurred by virtue of what individuals did. This was lawful action. Segregation was lawful in this country, mm-hmm. and that segregation, in and of itself, denied us opportunities. Lawful. So when you've got lawful, invidious discrimination, the the entity that is most uh, suited to correct this, to provide the redress, is the government itself. The sure. government created the problem. The government ought to provide the redress.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
4: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com/bin today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.help.com/bin.
5: Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you, but consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every 3 seconds in the US. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year
1: Joining us today to discuss critical race theory is U.S. Representative from Texas's 9th District, Al Green. Now, uh, before you go, I know uh, we, we only got you for a bit, but before you go, will you share a little bit with us about uh, the Slavery Remembrance Day Resolution?
3: Well, thank you. Uh, I'm very proud to have this resolution, and my hope is that we can get it passed in this Congress. Um, in uh, 1619, August 20th, the White Lion, um, a, a ship, landed in the colonies here, in the, 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 among the colonies. Mm-hmm. And it had 20 slaves on board, um, 20 slaves, 1619, August 20th. From that second forward, we have had to deal with our most egregious sin a seminal sin, the one that haunts us to this day, and that was uh, the introduction of slavery into this country. Mm -hmm. Well, we need to talk about that. Uh, We need to talk about that uh, specifically as it relates to slavery and not some holiday. Uh, This is not a holiday, Slavery Remembrance Day. We have a 9 11 Remembrance Day to remember what happened to the Twin Towers and to, uh, to deal with terrorism uh, a- a- as it has manifested itself around the world. Mm-hmm. We have a Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day to remember what happened to the Pearl of the Pacific, uh, how it was assaulted, and to not allow something like that to uh, surprise us again. And uh, we have a, a Holocaust Remembrance Day. Uh, to assure ourselves that the horrors of the Holocaust will never be visited upon humankind again. So, if we can have a 9-11 Remembrance Day, a Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day, a Holocaust Remembrance Day, surely we can have a Slavery Remembrance Day. Mm -hmm. And then on this day, we will literally talk about slavery, what it really was, tell the truth about slavery, tell the truth about Uh, The fact that there were people of color who sold people of color into bondage, into slavery. Sure. Talk about how the the ships, as they traversed the the ocean, uh, how the ships were followed by sharks who were waiting on bodies to be thrown overboard, Mm -hmm. how people were stacked into those ships like lumber. And there was an anticipation that a certain number would die, but that it was uh, more uh, of value to them to get those alive to the, what was called the new world at that time. It was a world that existed long before it was called the new world. But in any event, uh, just stack them in and, and knowing you'd lose some, but the investment would still give you a good return uh, because of, the, of the, what you were doing with these human bodies. And then how they were sold at the auction block. How children were separated from their parents at the auction block. Parents one way, children another way. How The slave master was a person who valued his product, but would rape the women, Uh, how he would whip the men, how he denied them an education, denied them the, the humanity and dignity that every human being deserves by simply being born. And then you have to talk about also who were the real heroes of that time. Obviously, it wasn't Robert E. Lee. It wasn't the Confederacy. It was people like Nat Turner. Uh, That was a genuine freedom fighter. Mm -hmm. And you have to say Nat Turner was a freedom fighter, but in any other world other than in the United States, Nat Turner would be a freedom fighter. He was trying to liberate slaves. Absolutely. That's a freedom fighter. John Brown, a white man who who was sacrificed and family uh, members uh, sacrificed trying to liberate black people. John Brown was a freedom fighter. Uh, anywhere else he'd be called such, except here, uh, wherein he was uh, uh, taking on those who were enslaving people who happened to be white. Uh, well, in that case, uh, he's no longer a freedom fighter. He was a, a criminal, uh, a murderer. Uh, well, he was doing what people do when they liberate people who are being held in bondage, and won't be released under any circumstances other than you've got to fight for their release. So we we should, we should at, on days like this, talk about who the real heroes were and the real sheroes were so that we can say to the world, this happened. It is easy for us to look through a window at others, um, Germany, for example, and draw our conclusions about what happened there. But it's difficult to look into the mirror and extol the truth about what happened here. Mm. That's what Slavery Remembers Day is all about. Uh, There are some people who don't want us to have these kinds of memories. They don't want to see uh, this kind of commemoration, not celebration, take place. Uh, And by the way, this in no way interferes with Juneteenth. Juneteenth is about a celebration of liberation and I voted for it and I support it. But it, it in no way interferes with Juneteenth. This is about commemorating the lives that were lost and destroyed to slavery. Very good, very good. So how can
1: we uh, keep up with the work that you're doing? Give us a, a website, your social media, all that.
3: Well, um, I will give you a, um, a, a site uh, that you can visit. Uh, All members of Congress have websites, and uh, my website is one that uh, I would gladly share with you. But I would also ask that you, uh, persons who want to keep up, I do floor messaging in Congress quite often. And um, I usually will do this uh, over C-SPAN, and uh, you might catch me there. But it is uh, algreen.house.gov, algreen.house.gov house.gov and on Twitter it would be um, at rep al Green
2: there Twitter
3: you. rep al green at rep Al Green uh, I would uh, welcome uh, any persons to uh, check our websites and stay in touch with us I would mention one additional piece of legislation uh that You didn't ask me about, but I think it's important. Of course. This is um, a piece of legislation to deal with the chasms that exist in this country between uh, the various races, um, the chasms that exist between uh, people who um, have suffered and those who have benefited from the suffering. It is um, a a piece of legislation that we call um, the. the the opportunity legislation, if you will. It provides the opportunity for us to reconcile. So this Mm. is opportunity legislation. It is a department of reconciliation, opportunity legislation, so that we can reconcile our differences. We have not reconciled in this country. In 1868, Andrew Johnson had the opportunity to help us reconcile and he chose to be divisive. And we've not had a true reconciliation. Uh, This Department of Reconciliation would be similar to the Department of Labor, wherein you have a Secretary of Labor, you'd have a Secretary of Reconciliation with Mm. undersecretaries of reconciliation. And it would have a budget that is um, indexed to the budget of the Defense Department. And I purposefully use Defense Department because we will always have a Defense Department budget. Sure. So, it will get its budget based upon some percentage of uh, what the Defense Department's budget is. This uh, reconciliation legislation would uh, provide this secretary direct access to the president because it would be a cabinet level position. Department of Reconciliation, Secretary of Reconciliation, reporting directly to the president. Every day, this person wakes up uh, with how uh, dealing with the how we can bring this country together. Uh, We need that kind of department. It's not a commission. Commissions have a a defined lifespan. This would not have a defined lifespan. The Department of Commerce doesn't have a defined lifespan. The Department of Defense doesn't. Uh, The Department of Labor doesn't. It would not. It would be continuing because reconciliation is not going to take place over the course of a single presidency. Uh, It's going to take time, and it's also going to take money, and it's also going to take people who are willing to, 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 to bring people together in ways that are not always comfortable, but that can be beneficial. So, the Department of Reconciliation is something we're very proud of, and we hope that in somebody's lifetime, maybe not in my lifetime, maybe not in yours, but in somebody's lifetime, we'll have this reconciliation. Uh, I remember Stevie Wonder's song, you know, maybe not in time for you and me, but someday at Christmas time, he says. So I say someday in our lifetime, we'll have reconciliation.
1: I love it. Well, thank you very much for all of your insight and all that you do. Uh, Once again, our guest today is U.S. Congressman Al Green from Texas's 9th District. Thank you so much for your time today, sir.
3: Thank you, sir. It's been a pleasure working with you.
1: This has been a production of the Black Information Network. Today's show was produced by Chris Thompson. Follow us on all social media at Our Daily Story Podcast. I am your host, Ramses Ja. Join us tomorrow as we share our news with our voice from our perspective. Right here on Our Daily Story.
4: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you.
2: sent off today.